the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, we do so as we do almost every Monday with the fantastic uh, Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert, among other things, is the author of the books Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He is the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. He is the author of Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He is also a um, contributing editor at a uh, senior editor, I should say, at nine at nineteen forty five nineteen the number one nine forty five spelled out dot com, where you can read him uh, regularly. Brandon, welcome back to the airwaves. Appreciate having you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for plugging all those wonderful things that I am honored to be a part of. Yeah, well, it's their honor. And and it's senior editor, not contributing editor, right? That's right. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 People don't know that contributing editor doesn't mean much. Well, apparently it does, because I, I had to check. I didn't realize from American Greatness, I... Were you a contributing? Editor. You were a senior. No, <laughs> I was a I was a senior contributor. Ah, and I guess senior contributor. At some point, I said I was a contributing editor, and they wanted that corrected immediately because uh-huh. apparently it, I didn't know it meant anything, and it was an honor. <laughs> so you know, you I know, have stories cares? after stories about these things. I thought contribute. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. What was this? I, the one I remember. Bill Bennett. Um, had written several columns, uh, essays for Commentary Magazine back in the 70s mm-hmm. and was identified in a piece in Newsweek. Remember they used to do those My Turns in Newsweek that were kind of yep. big and important yep. in, back in the yep. day? And they listed him as a contributor to Commentary Magazine. And Norman Podhoritz called him the moment he saw it and he said, you are not a contributor to Commentary yeah. Magazine. Yeah. And Bill said, I've written like 10 essays for you. You are not a contributor. <laughs> anyway, uh, the uh, the distinction of small differences in titles, I suppose, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm of the mind. I'm a writer. Yeah. That's what I am. Yeah. You know, but, hey, that's it. what's in a title, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. Popeye, you know, go with just be Popeye. I am what I am. There's a lot to discuss, Brandon. Um, yeah. By the way, your piece at 1945, I'm glad you did it. Uh, Venezuela, That no yeah. one's got their eye on it, which is why you no, do. No. And uh, yeah. so we'll all know in six months what to uh, what to expect. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll circle back to all of this. I want to talk about, uh, turns out, looks like, again, we were misled, uh, not to people who listen to you, but most of Americans were Wolfly misled on those Chinese uh, balloons. We'll get to that. Uh-huh. But let's start first with uh, the obvious news of the day that's going to dominate for – well, mm. it's a question how long this will dominate. But Trump, Donald Trump's arraignment tomorrow. Um, I, I have some thoughts. I'll let you just take take your first – give you your first take on this. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, we were all sort of theorizing, myself included, that um, Trump was kind of – egging this on a little bit because of the free media and everything. And I think he's certainly benefiting from it, but I'm reading, and this is Reuters, so take from that what you will, but I'm reading uh, an article entitled Trump arrives in New York for surrender uh, opposes TV court coverage. And so um, here, you know, here a lot of people were thinking that Trump was wanting to get the image of him 
standing up to the judge and standing up, you know, to the, the corrupt system. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe he is worried about his prospects. Um, you know, we think of Trump as sort of Teflon Don. Um, I don't know, maybe this is different. Maybe he knows this is different. Uh, not necessarily because what he did was worth going to jail, but because the system is clearly rigged against him. I'm currently writing an article uh, for 1945 on Biden and his strategy for not talking about the uh, indictment. He seems to be making a purposeful effort to not do that. Um, maybe it's because both men uh, are worried on some level of blowback or unintended consequences uh, to getting too far ahead of the media narrative on this thing. Um, and the bottom line is I think none of us know how this is going to go because I think everybody who has even an inkling of an understanding of legal operations, and I'm not a lawyer, but I understand a little bit of it, um, this is a misdemeanor at best and really should have been thrown out immediately. And had it been anybody other than Donald Trump, or rather, as a, as a family member of mine we were talking yesterday, uh, was saying his theory was, hey, if Trump wasn't running at all, I don't think any of this would be happening to him. And I said, you're probably right. Um, and so, you know, we don't really know. We can't really anticipate where this thing is going to go precisely because it is designed to not be easily anticipated. That's right. It is, you know, it is. And that is really the disgusting thing here, because the law is supposed to be standardized. The law is supposed to be predictable. You're supposed to know the red lines, when you cross, where you cross, where not to cross. And when you do cross them wrongly, that's when they come down on you. But this thing is being purposely kept opaque to the point, and it goes beyond just protecting the integrity of the grand jury. This is, this is something much more nefarious. Um, and so when people say that, you know, the democracy dies in darkness, well, what they really should be articulating is that the institutions that support democracy die in darkness when the standards that they're supposed to live by are ignored or only selectively applied as they are being now. Because Hillary Clinton, Seth, got away with a very similar crime, obviously not potentially paying off a porn star, but with the whole Christopher Steele do okay. dossier. And she was never even brought to court. She paid a fine. Yeah. Um, and so this whole thing is, is really nasty. And I think that's why even Trump now might be getting a little cold feet about being Mr. Braggadocia, because I think he's realizing, I don't know if, if this is going to be a fair hearing. We don't know so where. Far, it that's exactly right. right. You, you put your finger on it, Brandon. Um, you, you open this Pandora's box and almost anything can happen and probably, in fact, will. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and there's another level of analysis. Of course, none of us can be for sure. But I, I guess I've been a little bit contrarian about this. Or my inclination is to be a little contrarian about this one small point, which is how it benefits Donald Trump, how this will be a great benefit toward him. Uh, it will energize his supporters. It will uh, reveal yeah. to people that the system is rigged, et cetera, et cetera. I just I, I just want to put a cautionary note on that. I, I, I think that's probably certainly true up front. And I guess he's uh, raised some donations off it, which would which would further justify that point. But I just wonder, I, Brandon, I, I wonder where you are on this. You know, as this drags out, and it's not going to be quick, <clears throat> and as these possible other claims in other states, Georgia's the big one, um, come, will there be an actual 
opposite effect. Will people get an exhaustion factor? It could go either way. It really is yeah. walking the razor's edge. People will either feel very determined to defend this man who has been maligned with the use of law as politics by other means, or perhaps there will be an exhausting effect. That is to say, people will say it's just too much already. It's too much drama, which has not been an issue heretofore. But, you know, we haven't been here too far. It has been an issue. issue. I argue, as you know, regardless of what was going on with election shenanigans with mail-in ballots, I think think that Donald Trump lost a lot of support among uh, moderate or sort of these, these kind of city-dwelling Republicans. Soft Republicans, or, yeah. Yeah, because because they were tired of the tweeting during the pandemic. Before the pandemic, they tolerated it because the economy was doing so well. Right. The Democrats looked crazy. Right. But during the pandemic and after the pandemic, a lot of those managerial class voters, they ended up, I think, abandoning Trump because they were like, this guy's out of control. We'd rather have Sleepy Joe, who's at least predictable and, quote, safe. Yeah. And so I think the exhaustion factor is very much there. The difference, what, what I'm really talking about is, here's what my theory is. This is a very rough theory. My theory, my concern is that Trump can win the primary and lose the general election to the Democrats. And the reason he could win the primary is not so much because he's going to get so much Republican support, but because he's going he's to take away enough support that might have gone to DeSantis, and then there's going to be five or six other candidates bleeding DeSantis in the field, which is going to give Trump just enough of an edge that he needs to get over the edge. Because remember, he's got a core contingent of supporters who are going to vote for him and be with him no matter what. And so that's the problem DeSantis is facing. Let's face it, is his only real challenger. Uh, the problem DeSantis is facing is that, yeah, he's got some widespread support in different quarters of the Republican Party, but Trump has a base. That is massive. Yeah. And right now. Yeah. Right now, the Republican. You can't base, crack it. You cannot. Well, and you can't. And right. And now it got. And it just got stronger. You're right. And right now, the Republican base is very aggrieved, and they want revenge, and they they're looking for someone to feed into that sense of grievance and revenge. Uh, and uh, Trump is the id. He's American. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a that's a fair analysis. Let me take a commercial break and run this one by you to to ponder. And maybe it's just a feeling I get, and you know, a lot of this stuff changes day by day. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up vibrations that maybe DeSantis himself might be having second thoughts about getting yeah, in. Yeah, I don't think he's going to run at this point. Oh boy, you're part of the vibration. Okay, let's uh, pick up on that when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest, uh, senior editor over at 1945.com, among other outlets. One nine, the spelling out of 45.com, really a smart website, and it's now smarter because of him being there. Um, okay, so I said I didn't know you were gonna you were gonna answer the way you did. I said right before the break, I'm picking up vibrations here and there that yeah. there may be some second thoughts about DeSantis getting in, yeah. and you said uh, count. Count you among those strumming those vibrating strings, huh? Well, well, I maybe. Mean, I hope I'm. I hope I'm wrong. Right. I want him very right. much to run. Right. He is, I think, the future of the Republican Party. I think he is, despite what the MAGA people are saying, because they're, I think, a little jealous. Uh, he is the heir of the MAGA movement, um, and so my hope is that yeah, he runs. Um, but I think that now even the major donors are telling him. 
hey, we don't want you to run now because you're going to get your you're, you're not going to you're not going to win this with Trump and the grievance machine. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to it. And I think that, you know, my biggest complaint about DeSantis, and this is one of his strengths, but it's also a weakness in this case, is he's way too calculating. Yeah. He needs to just start throwing yeah. some punches out yeah. there. Yeah. And, you know, if he if he loses, he loses. So what? But at least he can say he put it all on the field. Um, you know, I, I just, um, you know, he's being way too calculated about this. And I'd say he's about two to three weeks behind where he needs to be, maybe even a month behind where he needs to be. Um, and, um, you know, this idea that he's just going to kind of meander into the race because Trump's going to, you know, self-exhaust or whatever, maybe. But, you know, I see no evidence of in Trump's life of growing exhaust. Agreed. Other people, other people get exhausted. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He gets energized. So, yeah, he yeah, he, so, he actually know, is energized by the push. Any push yeah, against him energizes yeah, him. Yeah, and, right. And, you know, and, and power to him. That's yeah, what makes right. Him no, exactly right. It's figure. what you would want in a candidate. Right. Absolutely. But, you yeah. know, with DeSantis, he's got to get out of his own way here and just pull the trigger or, or shut up about it. Because the problem is, is that um, he's going to be really weak if he. I, I argued in my in another piece at 1945 that was published on Friday that he either needs to call a press conference and announce that he is officially entering the race after either on or after Easter or not do it at all. And I think that if he waits till 28, I don't think he'll ever be president. I think he's got to pull the trigger now, but he doesn't want to because he's worried because now all the donors are saying, "I don't think you can beat him." I don't think you can beat Trump because Trump is like a, a rage machine and the base is on fire for him because of this indictment. Well, time is that that going. time frame is probably right. And it's not in his favor because Trump's numbers no. will, in fact, go up, even with my scenario in the previous segment in the short term, which is to say the next month when right. DeSantis had that is when Trump's numbers will go right. up. And DeSantis wants right. to wait. And, right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's 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 all I, I had. Go. Yeah. You can comment. I had another well, I point. Just, but go I, ahead. I, yeah. Well, I was just going to say I was going to add on that DeSantis wants to wait till the end of the Florida legislative session. It doesn't matter right. anymore. He needs to do it right. in the next five days or he's done. The uh, he's really bet- between the skill and charybdis on this because you know assuming you're right and I have no reason to think your analysis is wrong I, I tend to agree with it um, one could see it looking opportunistic in the sense of happening the same week that Donald Trump is arraigned and I and he's he's put himself in a no win situation is I guess what I'm trying to say by this delay that he should have gotten yeah. in sooner there's another right. interesting thing. That I picked up in listening to you when you said the donor class, one of the things that and maybe the biggest thing that got Ron DeSantis so much interest and support outside of Florida was the way he interacted with the media and how, you know, he just wouldn't he he, he shut them down, you know, um, right. with with every attack, particularly on the racialization and sexualization and school stuff. Uh, yeah. Also, COVID, but but his 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 byplay with the media is what got him his uh, yeah. his star power with so many of us. And what I am hearing, I have not been witness to this, but what I am hearing is that when he gives speeches to you know audiences that either pay to see him or you know are part of a civic group that has invited him in, he is less popular when he's done than when he walks in. 
Yeah. And and that 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 is what might also explain some of the donor problem. That's where you get your yeah. donors. I don't know if you've well, heard that well, no, or that's, seen that. That's true. It is no, true. That's true. It is okay. And, and He's I, just less know, impressive I, when he owns the mic if it is. Well, but. it isn't it isn't a question of being impressive. It's just that He's very wonky. Oh, okay. this is you know he's you never go full wonk when you're running for office. Right. He, he you know and and he's brilliant and he would be an amazing president. The problem is he can't. He seems to be having trouble becoming a candidate. Uh huh. It's easy to run and you know and look I I am a supporter of DeSantis. Yeah, sure. I want him. Sure. But but it's easy to run in a state like Florida where everything is redistricted in such a way to give the Republican Party all the advantages. And he still, in 2018, had trouble winning. Now, yeah. he did great in 2022 because he, has, he was a known commodity. And I think that if he can get through the Trump gauntlet, I think he will decisively defeat whoever the Democrats field against him. But the problem is, is that He's he is running as if he's already the candidate, the, the nominee. He needs to be running as if he's in a street fight. Now, I think he's capable of it. He was in the military, for God's sakes. The guy's not a pushover. He's a competitor. I just don't understand who he's listening. Well, to there's a littered highway of Republicans who have thought that they were the leading candidate and delayed right. getting in. And it begins with Rudy Giuliani, right. includes Fred right. Thompson and ends with Scott Walker. Right. Yeah. And I worked for Fred Thompson yeah. in that way. Yep. I yep. liked him a lot. But, yep. you know, you know who ruined Fred Thompson was Jerry, his wife. Um, on that campaign. His wife at the time, she was the reason why... I'm trying to remember. I remember there was a mistake in Iowa at the state yeah, fair. Yeah, that too. But he, he, he was listening to her. He should not have been listening to her. And so my concern is whoever DeSantis is listening to his inner circle, he might need to start getting new inputs because yeah. he should have already announced... Listen, Trump moved the timetable up purposely yep. Yep. when he announced. He knew that DeSantis had this carefully choreographed thing, and he's not going to play by. And this is why this is one thing you got to like about Trump. He doesn't play by his enemies' timetables. He goes right at him. And so DeSantis needs to either get some hustle and start throwing fences, start start throwing punches, come down from that fence, or not do it at all. But the, the conundrum for him, 2028 is a lifetime in politics away. Someone else is going to come around who's going to be the, the, the new darling at that point. I, I, probably, I agree with probably that. Probably a Carrie Lake type person. Maybe. So I, don't, Maybe. You know, I don't know what he's going to – because there's no way Trump has ever – can or will nominate DeSantis as the Veep no. if Trump is the, is the winner. Yeah. And he's going to put someone like Carrie Lake, yeah. and that's going to be his darling, and that's going to be the person who runs in 28 as a Republican. Yeah, that, that that's right. The next month, in other words, the way you're laying it out, the next month could – could be the Ron DeSantis epitaph if not carefully dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Next month. All right. Let me uh, let me get into some foreign policy stuff with you when we come back. I want to talk to you about um, I want to talk to you about this. Uh, first of all, the what we're learning about the Chinese and balloons gathering and sensitive mm-hmm. intelligence, despite what Joe Biden was telling us. And then yeah. I want to talk a little bit about uh, South America with you. Brandon Weikert yeah. is my guest. He and I'll be right back. Brandon, Brandon J. Weichert is our guest. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. It's important I spell names from time to time. When your name is Liebson, you have to do that as well. Weichert is W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. He he pronounces it and spells it the right way. I spell it the right way, but pronounce it the wrong way uh, with the German, as I'm told. E-I should be pronounced Leib, and Weichert is, yeah, should be pronounced the way Brandon does it. Anyway, uh, Brandon... Um, 
aside from spelling and pronunciation uh, being correct, talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're picking up on the story about the Chinese balloons. Maybe not as uh, innocent as Joe Biden and the administration were telling us, huh? Uh, no, and as I as I told you uh, before, um, as I told you before, when the event was going on, um, you know the the Chinese. They got the intel. They yeah. got what they yeah. wanted, and um, that's the, you know this is going to be the first of many, not the last. This wasn't a fluke. This was part of a larger strategic uh, maneuver by the Chinese to gain up-to-date, actionable intelligence on the United States military posture in the homeland. Okay, and so they get all. We knew that. Look, I told you in February, the Pentagon was outright lying. They were outright lying to we the people about the severity of the threat, about what was going on. And they were doing that because they didn't want to make Biden look bad. They were face with the Chinese. And they also were very worried about the confab they wanted to do with China, which is not going to happen now. Mm hmm. Yeah, this notion that uh, Kirby, et cetera, in the depart at, uh, in the administration are saying it, it, the intelligence it picked up was of limited additive value. I, I don't know how they can say that. I, I, I just don't know at this point. But more importantly, more importantly, um, since I mean, it seems nearly impossible to prevent China from getting whatever China wants as far as intelligence gathering goes. I just don't know. How much longer people are going to believe anything this administration tells us anymore? Jimmy Carter talked about a crisis in confidence. We have a crisis in credibility right now. I'm amazed how many people believe anything that Biden's people say, yeah. and yet they do. And so I, I don't really know. I don't know. Um, um, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't know what it's going to take for the American people to wake up. I mean, you look at what's going on with this balloon. You look at the fact that we the oil is going to go up to $100 a barrel because Saudi Arabia is working with Russia to cut production on 1.2 million barrels per day. That's being done to stick to us. Uh, you know, you look at everything that's going on in the world, and you look at the fact that we are in a mass recession bordering on a depression. We are in a bank crisis that we are told is not a crisis, so nothing to see here. And yet so many American people want to believe this lie. Right. And so I don't know, Seth. I, I think the whole country could be burning and at least half the country is going to be like, no, it's not that bad. Everything's fine. We like it hot. It's fine. Um, and so, you know, this is not the America of our forefathers. This is not the America of our great grandfathers and grandfathers who wouldn't have put up with this for a second. Uh, you know, and that's the problem. So China knows when they're looking at us, they're saying, look, the Americans are weak. They're pathetic. They they won't even stand up for themselves. It's almost like the Chinese. They won't even tell the truth to the American people about what China's right. up to. But think about it. How perverse is this? It's yeah. almost as if China wants us to lash out yeah. just to make sure that we're still normal. Huh. And the fact that we're not <laughs> lashing out is only making them angrier at us. You know what I mean? It's yes. Like weird, like, bullying. Yes, we know you're like, alive. You yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Why are you hitting us back? What's right. wrong with you, you weakling? Right. You right. know, and it makes them want to do more. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I take the point, and I'll, I'll, I'll take the point, too, that, one one looks around for a foreign policy success right now. One one isn't one is very hard pressed to find it. There are it. none to be had. There are none there, to there be had. There is literally there is literally 
Seth, when I say literally there are none to be had. There's none to be had. Every possible thing that could go wrong is going wrong, and it's going to get a lot worse the longer this guy and his team are in office. At least maybe they'll put Guyana back in the news since James Jones. First time since James <laughs> Jones, right? 1978. Was it? What was it called? The People's Cheers. Let's pick up on, on Venezuela and Guyana when we come right back. I'm, sure thing. Thank sure you. Thing. I am Seth Leibson. He is Brandon Weikert. Uh, amongst his books are Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, as he is almost every Monday in our uh, closing hour. I should also mention his uh, Twitter feed, which is chock full of great intel as well, at we the Brandon W-E-T-H-E, Brandon, we the Brandon. Your most recent uh, posting uh, over at that 1945 site, 1945.com. Venezuela readies for war while Joe Biden sleeps. Is anyone in the Biden administration paying attention? Maybe they could send Vice President Kamala Harris to make another nonsensical speech that aggravates everyone and solves nothing. I haven't heard about um, hadn't heard about Guyana in a long time. Not since James Jones. What's going on here, (laughs) Brandon? Yeah. So so basically going going back like over a century there, ever since the colonial era, Venezuela has had this border dispute with Guyana, and um, basically, um, ever since oil was discovered uh, in Guyana, um, there's there's been an ongoing spat where basically Venezuela, under Nicolas Maduro, claims like 80% of Guyana as Venezuelan territory. You, now, you make the nice analogy like Iraq thought of Kuwait. This is exact. To me, this smacks of... The build-up to Desert Storm, when the Iraqis basically just said Kuwait's not a real country, right, right. it's got all the oil. This has got all, and remember, just like Iraq, yeah. Venezuela is collapsing economically. The regime is in very big danger politically. Right. It's hanging on by a thread, so they've got to do something to significantly and drastically change the situation on the ground. They have been dying in Venezuela to raise oil output. But PDVSA, their um, their uh, conglomerate, their oil, their state-owned oil conglomerate, can't meet uh, the increased output demand because you know socialism. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, they're now having to um, look around and say, "Well, we need oil to keep anything going financially. We have to sell that oil. So what are we going to do? Oh, well, our neighbor, which is tiny and has no real military, um, they, they've got." They've got a massive amount of oil. That, oh, literally in the last 10 years, they've, just, they've gone from a completely impoverished nation to being a massively wealthy country, just like Kuwait. Um, and they don't really have any defense. And Guyana and, uh, being our ally, uh, we can't exactly depend on Brazil to stop this thing as we used to no, maybe six no. months ago, right? No. And in fact, this is where the, the danger of the Biden foreign policy as it relates to Latin America has come into play because, like Obama, he is supporting Marxist or yeah, all the wrong Marxist people, right? Yeah. All the wrong people. Right. So he helped. You know, by the way, we did help to overthrow Jair Bolsonaro. That was a, a U.S. that had the fingerprints of a U.S. intelligence operation all over it. We put Lula in. They're doing it to Netanyahu now. They're trying to do it to him. They did it to Boris Johnson. They probably did it to Trump. There's a movement 
to overthrow right-wing populist leaders. And so they got rid of Bolsonaro, who had basically completely reoriented Brazil, which is the most powerful country outside of the United States in the Western Hemisphere. And Jair Bolsonaro got them to completely re- reorient themselves away from Russia, China, and Iran and toward the United States. And now within like three months of Lula being back in charge in Brazil, now Brazil is back in the camp of the bad guys. And we were depending on Brazil to basically right. act as a check right. against the possible invasion of Guyana by, um, uh, by the, um, the uh, uh, Venezuelans. That is over. Lula has already made it clear he can't be dependent on. He won't be dependent on. So it's a nightmare. And we don't care. The Colombians are also trying to help out. But ultimately, the Colombians could only do so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a tiny country. They're going to need our help. And let's face it, the United States is a little preoccupied with the stupid war in Ukraine mm-hmm. and anything else that's going to go on and all the internal stuff. And Biden, let's face it also, Biden is in his team. They like Lula. They like yep. Maduro right. on some level. Remember, a month or two ago, Biden was talking about normalizing relations with Venezuela like he wants to do with Iran. That's right. So this is a nightmare. The anal- analogs back to the n- late 1970s are just all over the place, whether we're talking about the Middle East, uh, particularly with regard to Iran, whether we're talking about Central and Latin America and the collapse of uh, friendly regimes to socialist uh, Marxist regimes. And, you know, we weren't thinking that much about Asia back in those days. But now I add Asia. Now I add China to this mix. And a hot war that's taking place with Russia, not totally unlike Afghanistan and Russia were in the late seventies. We we have we have a perfect mix of a mix of American debasement and all of our enemies on the on the on the upswing on the rise, with with, well, with, with no with no good end in sight over the next two years. No good end. No, and actually, honestly, no good end in sight in the next four years either. Okay, if, listen, if. If Trump wins, he's a lame duck. Now, that means he's going to be able to do supposedly a lot of damage to the deep state. But I don't know because he didn't really do a lot of damage to the deep state in the first place. Um, so I don't know. But supposedly he's going to just terrible. Don Jr. said on Tim Pool's show he's going to just burn everything down if he wins. Well, that's fine. But ultimately, what, what is that going to do to our ability to project power abroad? Okay? If we're burning the whole system down at home, which we need to burn a lot of it down, but it needs to be a controlled burn not just a wildfire. And the problem with Trump is that I don't think he has the capability to do this in a disciplined way. Yeah. He just wants revenge. And so even if he is the not, if he wins, I don't think we're going to be able to reverse this thing in four years. We got to get somebody who can get elected in not just four years, but another four years. Yeah. I don't I may, maybe that's I'm a really right. important you know. point. You know, that was I remember when um when he was riding high Donald Trump in office, I remember someone you would know, very sophisticated Washington observer who was on his side, uh, said, you know, the problem with what he's doing is four years is enough and eight might not yeah. be either. Yeah. Yeah. Eight might and not so be either. That's why DeSantis becomes more, you know, from a presidential standpoint, becomes more attractive. Yeah. But, of course, the problem is I don't know what he's doing with his campaign. Right. And the problem is, is that all of. All of the things that are happening are happening because of who's in charge right now. Yep. And if we could fundamentally change the president for the next eight years, I think we could really get things to where they need to be. We can turn this from the 1970s to the 1980s real fast. But the problem is, so far, we don't have it lined up in a way that is conducive 
to making that kind of historic change. And if we lose now, Seth, we're going to lose the century. This is it. This is really it. All right. On that high note, Brandon, we may have to call you again later in the week. But I will be here. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you so much. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be right back. Well, you heard about the foreign policy. How do you think the Biden administration is doing with the economy, the bank problem, the stock market volatility, the possible recession on the horizon, both of which compound the latter? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to any of that, not the stock market, not the Fed? A portfolio where your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, there are no fees, you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, you can turn your income, your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're local, you can visit with them, I know them very well, they're really, they're the most trustworthy and honest people I know, and you won't get a sales pitch. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. It's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-R-E-F-Y. Uh, 34, 888-Y-REFI-34. 1970s, late 1970s, foreign policy uh, ushering in um, kind of an American collapse uh, that we thought was going to be the defining uh, Soviet uh, and red um, uh, eclipse of liberal democracy, as we used to refer to it in those days. Until we pulled our socks up and understood the gravity of the situation, but had to have a complete change of ideological power in Washington, D.C. with the Ronald Reagan administration, an administration that saw the return of the 52 American hostages on day one and a rollback of the Soviet incursions into both Latin America and Europe over the next six to eight years, including and culminating in uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall the year after Ronald Reagan left office. Or I guess it would have been in 1989, the year he did leave office. Uh, he would have left in January. Gene Kirkpatrick, his foreign pol- one of his foreign, poli- foreign policy architects, his ambassador to the United Nations, wrote a very famous column in Commentary Magazine. I was referencing it earlier um, on the distinction between dictatorships and autocracies, autocracies that we were friendly with, that the Biden administration has um, has spurned because they don't like the idea of autocracy. And instead, what they got was worse because sometimes autocracy is the best you can get. What they went from is autocracy to dictatorship. And as Jean put it at the end of her article, um, a posture of continuous self-abasement and apology vis-a-vis the third world and the rest of the world is neither morally necessary nor politically appropriate. No more is it necessary or appropriate to support vocal enemies of the United States because they invoke the rhetoric of popular liberation. It is not even necessary or appropriate for our leaders to forswear unilaterally the use of force to counter force Liberal idealism need not be identical with masochism. 
is how she concluded it, need not be identical with masochism. Let's remember that. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.